0: hey it's greg brady thanks for joining us on toronto today with our podcast and thanks for finding us please pass along uh the uh requirement not just a not just a request but a requirement they're different to subscribe and rate the podcast send it to a friend uh, today via email or text they'll they'll be so appreciative it's our remembrance day edition we cover the essence of remembrance day um and i share a bit of a personal anecdote you know i don't like to get too personal But I uh, share a personal anecdote about a a field trip that happened in seventh grade to a veterans hospital. It was my first real hands-on experience, if you will, um, with talking to a war veteran from World War II. The memory fades a bit over time, but I remember a lot of it, and I remember how it made me feel more than things uh, that we said. Jugmeet Singh on the show, federal NDP leader. We cover a lot of the post-election, you know, analysis, almost a post-game show for that, and a pre-game show for what he expects for things when they get settled in the House of Commons, about a week and a half from now. Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star, always enjoy our visits, and Mike Drolet from Global News, a story on the 100th anniversary of the poppy, circling back to a very important day lest we forget great to have you in it's one of the most important days on our calendar it's one of the most important days i think uh that i gear up you listen and you can tell i'm pretty uh geared up sometimes overly geared up on a bunch of things you know whether it's my tone whether it's uh, my energy i i find sometimes the most enjoyable conversations are when i'm i'm uh speaking with less energy than more energy but either way an important day to recognize who we are as Canadians and where we've been and who got us there. There's currently a sunrise ceremony happening at Prospect Cemetery in the city. There will be one at 11 o'clock at Old City Hall. And um, I'll tell you what as well. When we talk about the pandemic, um, it it gets me feeling really great about where we're headed, but also the work we've done to get to even this moment right now. Um, The virus can't be reasoned with. It can't be negotiated with. It can't be talked to. You can't. I I think they describe that as uh, aliens in uh, in in the movie, you know, aliens and alien. You can't talk. Can't talk to the aliens. Right. You Can't negotiate with the aliens. And I've often said we often have to react to this. Like we're being invaded by aliens. We, don't, we shouldn't be taking weekends off to vaccinate people. We shouldn't be um, forcing our healthcare workers to work in environments that are difficult for them because we're all a little fried. Uh, Bruce Arthur mentioned it last hour. We're all in the fog of war, if you will, through this. But we got here compared to a year ago at this time. OK, and some of that is our risk mitigation tactics. Some of that is vaccinations. And no one's going to deny. I, I know, you know, I look and I go, well, I disagree with this policy. I don't like this restriction. I think the messaging is, is you know, frankly, lousy from some of our uh, public health communicators. But we're still here and we're still a lot further advanced than we were a year ago at this time. I want to tell a quick story about going and and I think this relates if you have kids or we all once were a kid. Veterans Day and Remembrance Day, I was living in the States for 10 years for Veterans Day and Remembrance Day here, always impacted me, but I didn't really have a touch point for it. I didn't. And, and I don't come from a military family. And I, I couldn't, if you said to me in sixth grade, do you know a veteran? Oh, I wouldn't have. I might have been able to track somebody down that, that one of my grandparents knew by then. I think I've only got my mom on my mom's side and my dad on my dad's side alive. Uh, at age 10 or 11. So I wouldn't have known a war veteran, and now I know several because people have gone to Afghanistan. Even people that have reached out to me doing radio here in this city for a while, you get to know people, uh, and they and they and there's this personal relationship. It's why you're listening right now. It's why you're going to listen later today. No flipping. Don't flip around the dial. Uh, we've talked about this. We have a relationship. Stop that. But I didn't have that until seventh grade, at Oxbow Elementary School in Ilderton, Ontario, where Scott Moyer went. I, I'm not the most, you know, famous alumnus, uh, and certainly I'm I'm not in the most uh, 800 accomplished alumnuses, alumni, I'm sure, um, but either way, Scott Moyer went there. So Oxbow Elementary School, we get on a bus, and uh, anytime you can get out of class, that's a good thing, I figure. And in seventh grade, on Remembrance Day, we go to Parkwood Hospital. That was a veterans hospital then, so this is 1985, and... Uh, and we visit with veterans and I wish that was, I almost wish that was a mandate because I'll tell you the impact that had on me you, at first you're like, well, it's a cool to get out of school and you ride the bus and you sit where you want and you talk about what you watched on TV last night or the Leafs game or, or the new, uh, the new Duran Duran single. I was probably into all that stuff back then. What's, what's with culture club? Why are they so popular? Why do the girls like them? Anyway, um, You'd, you'd sit there on the bus, and, but then you would got to get there and you're like, you get a little nervous and you're like, I hope these people are going to, we're not bothering them. I hope we're not bothering veterans of the Korean War or World War II. Because think about it, you're going and seeing probably people in their 60s, maybe early 70s, World War II vets would have been in the mid 80s. And you're going to see these people and you don't know what to expect. Like, it's one thing if a veteran comes or a person from the military comes into your school and there is an assembly. It really is. That's different than you coming onto their turf and you're going, are they going to be busy? Are they going to be watching, I don't know, One Life to Live or, uh, uh, you know, or a movie of some sort? And I will tell you that that day, we probably spent about four hours there, had lunch there and everything. I can't tell you the impact it had on me. I can't tell you how I'd listen to the stories of the bravery and the loneliness and what they had to deal with coming back and what they had to deal with not knowing then we can't we can barely be away from our phones for an hour or so right now right like it's a weird feeling to to go do something you put your phone away maybe even you do you do it at night and you wake up and you got a few new messages here and a bunch of new emails here and works called a relative's called whatever then back then you can imagine going to europe europe and being a military member of the efforts to basically protect the free world. That's not an exaggeration 80 years ago. That's what it was. That's what it ended up being. And to visit with these people, and I'll never forget somebody, uh, a guy, and, and so you got assigned to a couple veterans. So you'd go in this room, like you'd be like, you'd, you'd partner up, uh, okay, with somebody else from seventh grade. You'd go into a room and you'd visit. And you'd watch TV or you'd talk and you had to, you know, you, you got to be able to, to work the room a little bit. And I've, I've never, well, I've got a lot of problems, I'm sure, but I've never had a problem creating conversation. So we got a, a quiet guy in particular, um, me and my uh, partner, if you will. And then you, there's some more congregating stuff and there's a couple speeches. And I think we had like somebody in, in grade eight, the year ahead of us, give a speech to the vets. And say how proud we all were to be there. And I'll never forget pulling away in the school bus. And my guy, who I'd never remember the name, I but I remember the I remember the image like it was yesterday. I, it's hard to shake. And he's out waving at the bus, and he's crying. He's in tears. He may, maybe he's a crier by nature. I am too, but he's bawling. He's not shedding a tear. He's not. Where's a Kleenex? He's not. Ann Curry leaving the Today Show against her will. He's bawling, and I'll never forget looking out the window seeing that guy. And realizing what it meant that we went there. I hope in a post-COVID universe, we get back to doing that. I hope we get back to send, I, I would love it almost, we, mandate's a popular word now and it, uh, it bothers some people. But I want us to normalize making those visits and seeing people. Because we don't have too many left at all from World War I. We've got a scant amount of people left from World War II, clearly. They'd be close to 95 years old now, even some of the younger ones. And we'd have veterans from the Korean War, but we only had about 27,000 men and women involved in the Korean War. So they are fewer and far between, either A, to be alive now, or B, to be able to have that encompassed. But we've got to find a way. If you're a principal at a school, vice principal, next year, when we're a lot more normal than we are, because we're almost through this, and we certainly are through the worst of it. And we have been for several months. You hear me. I know it, it, some of you champion it. And some of it, uh, some of you want to yell at me and go that you disagree with me. That's okay. That's part of the discourse of the, all this. But I hope that principals and vice principals step up on the elementary school level and get this done and actually make this a priority. Bring a vet to your school. Have them talk. Bring several as a matter of fact. Figure out a way to get this done. And even today, I will say this. I'm a little disappointed that uh, my kids at their school, it's a virtual assembly. They kind of are going to be in their own classrooms wearing a poppy and doing something virtual. It's warm enough outside. It's nine degrees now. It's going to be warmer three hours from now. I'm a little disappointed schools haven't been more creative. Maybe some schools have. So understand that when we talk about schools and teachers, et cetera, et cetera, you know where my loyalties and allegiances lie from a home full of teachers. I would love for us to be able to pursue this and get people outside today, but I think it's too late. And I honestly think we've fallen, uh, you know, we, we've we've been guilty of, well, you know, COVID. Yeah, I know COVID. It's also outdoors and you can get an elementary school outdoors and you can get people to stand and be outside in 13 degree temperatures and be together and honor everybody as one without doing it virtually. Oh, we don't have we don't have space. Find a way and do what you can. I know all schools aren't built equally. And not, not, not every school, depending on where the location is, has that amount of space in high school and elementary school. But it's critically important. It's critically important that we don't let these traditions of respect and honor die. I'm all for, you know, there's a, le- a lot of elements of the past that we should just push past, move behind. This should never, ever be one of them. It should never be taken for granted. And again, I don't want to say I don't have skin in the game, but every freedom I have and you have is because we took action at a certain point in time. And so did the other allied forces in World War II, And we saw it important enough to go to Afghanistan. So sometimes we got to put politics aside and just say it doesn't matter why we were there. It doesn't matter how long we stayed there, all the back and forth. And we debated this constantly in August, didn't we? With, with all the, uh, you know, everybody leaving Afghanistan and the cities falling to the Taliban very quickly. And we know what's happened in Afghanistan now. It's terrible. It's a horror show. OK, it's a horror show for all the people living there, um, women and children, especially Let's get into it. He's the leader of the federal NDP, the New Democratic Party, um, basically holding their own in the last election results. He is Jugmeet Singh. Uh, Thank you very much for making the time. I know busy with Remembrance Day today. Um, uh, Let's start a minority government. It's what we had last time in 2019, pre-COVID. There must be some benefits of that. There must be some concepts that allow the NDP and and allow the other parties some freedom to work with the government, but also challenge the government.
1: I think that minority governments do present a really incredible opportunity. We look back over the past in Canada, and it's been in minority governments where New Democrats have been able to push to get some of the things that we're proudest of. Our our universal health care system was the result of a minority government where Tommy Douglas fought hard to bring something that he had established provincially in Saskatchewan to the federal stage. So there are really great opportunities that minority governments present, and I'm looking forward to using my position to push for the most possible support that people can receive and and really a focus on people. We've seen a lot of the past evidence when we come out of a tough economic time, many governments have chosen to give help to large industries or sectors, and it doesn't actually make it to the worker. And so I want to make sure that that workers are our priority coming out of this pandemic, and that even getting through the the last bit of this pandemic, that we focus on the help that people need.
0: Mean Singh is our guest on Toronto Today with Greg Brady on Global News Radio six forty Toronto. We'll get to a couple of those issues for sure coming up in the next few minutes. Uh, just from a a pure um, the marathon uh, the marathon slash sprint that the that the election is when when you wake up the next morning after it, even if you're able to go to sleep, you tell our audience how emotionally physically fatigued are you it's a lot right it's a lot and and uh, again sometimes we wear down physically because it's such an emotional and mental roller coaster for those five or six weeks and and this campaign in a pandemic doing the travel um a, a lot of fraught emotion on the campaign trail as well um it wasn't your normal election i i, I would get how how exhausted were you after the process
1: you know what? This is going to be a, probably an unpopular thing or, or not a common thing to hear from, from folks on the campaign trail. I love campaigns. I love mm-hmm. the opportunity to meet people. I really enjoy it. So I find a lot of energy. The one thing that that I missed out on, understandably, because of the COVID restrictions, we didn't have large gatherings and large rallies. And I really enjoy those moments to connect with lots of people, hear their stories, feel their energy. And really, I look at a campaign as an opportunity to tell the story of people, of Canadians. So when we meet with healthcare workers who are saying, you know, we are at our wit's end, we don't know what to do, there's not enough funding for us in Alberta and Saskatchewan, hearing their stories really motivates me to invest in healthcare to make sure when people get sick, there is care there for them. When we went to Cow First Nations and went Mm to Uh, indigenous communities that don't have clean drinking water speaking to those people hearing their stories to me is is why I do this is to share their stories to talk about how we need clean drinking water how we can't forget the horrible toll of residential schools so for me I find it really invigorating there's certainly lots of emotions it's it's difficult sometimes to hear some painful stories. But for me, I, I'm motivated by hearing those stories and sharing them and fighting for solutions to make life life better for people. I know you probably heard from Canadians
0: with the one English language debate, uh, and I know you weighed in on at the time, so you've got reflection here as well. A lot of people didn't like the format. I know it's crowded up there. I I know it's probably tough to get points in. You think, wow, we didn't get to talk about this. I was dying to spend five, six minutes on this. Can, how do, can we do better next time around? Can we either do more or flesh out the format or, or have more one-on-one? It, it just felt frustrating. Was it personally
1: frustrating for you? Yeah, I think the format left a lot to be wanting. There's, there's no doubt that the format was one that that kind of stifled the interactions. I feel like even the previous election in 2019 had more free and open moments, mm-hmm. and this one felt really rigid and confined so there's there's got to be better ways to do it, no doubt. There's lots of examples of debates at work. We've got examples around the world. We've got previous debates in our own country where we can look to better formats, where there's more engagement, there's more back and forth, there's less kind of stifling. It's important to have a good moderator that, that keeps the debate moving along. But I feel like sometimes the format, not the moderation even, just the format can be very rigid. So yeah, there's lots of Canadians felt the same way last one on the election and then we'll we'll focus on things you and your party want to accomplish in
0: the weeks and months ahead uh really important weeks and months no seats for the PPC and I got to ask you about that on on you know the the campaign trail we see it in other countries we see it uh, in Europe we see it in South America where we say well this far right party did this and this far right party did that it's a democracy people can vote for who they want to vote for but this one this one told the line for some people did it not with people wondering that's okay to be able to vote for anybody but if people and candidates are preaching hate if they're preaching discrimination if they're not allowing for equal opportunity that's not regular politics were you were you relieved that the ppc didn't get a seat in the hallowed
1: house of commons so this is an interesting question because i'm i'm obviously as a lawyer as someone who's been a long human rights advocate very strongly in in support of people's ability to have free and open discussion and people can have different opinions, people can disagree and they don't have to agree with me. And I think it's healthy and important to have that, that commitment to uh, open and, and fair debates where different ideas are shared. There is though a distinction when when that, that debate becomes one that's promoting hate or promoting division and um, things that are that are questioning basic science and, and inflaming people that could incite hatred. Uh, those things are are really problematic, and we've seen the results. People end up losing their lives when when there's folks that are radicalizing. So there is there's clearly a distinction with hate speech and heat and speech that is is divisive. Um, with the, the PPC, I feel in a lot of ways they they were promoting a, a pretty unhealthy and divisive debate around around basic uh, health protocols, keeping each other safe, getting vaccinated, and those things are dangerous. That's that's not helpful. And I'm happy that Canadians soundly rejected that approach. There was, there was nowhere even close where a PPC was gonna win a seat. So that, mm-hmm. that's encouraging to me that Canadians are not accepting that frame. And it's a very small group of people that, that are accepting this kind of divisive and, and uh, negative type of uh, platform. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's go back to last June. Um, We spoke to you a few days after the horrific attack in London, Ontario. You made your way there and spoke there. Uh, You had an impassioned speech. Um, It's getting referenced now in retrospect as the this is our Canada speech. I know you spoke from the heart. I know that can be tricky uh, sometimes for a, a politician. You knew what you wanted to say, but you wanted to also be spontaneous and, and be emotional. I think people really appreciated that. We find out um, today that the um, accused in the London attack was inspired by the New Zealand mosque shooter and uh, in Christchurch. And I, I I think Canadians lean two ways on that. Um, they're, they're very concerned that someone could be so radicalized from an event that happened so far away. I don't know if there's a sense of relief that okay he's not working with a group here in in Canada or in London, but it's it's a stark reminder that we we just have to be vigilant in our in our own households uh, with our kids. We have to be that way in our neighborhoods, in our communities, all of that.
1: Yeah, it's also a reminder of of one of the things that we've been long calling for is that online hate is one of the most serious threats to our safety. There are Uh, clear forums and, and online platforms that are promoting hateful rhetoric and often relying on misinformation and, and doing it in a way purposely designed to incite violence against people. And we are seeing the impact of that in Canada. There's no doubt about it. And so we've long been saying the social media giants, they have no interest in, in policing this type of hate. In fact, when the whistleblower from Facebook came forward, she made it really clear. In fact, Facebook, if anything, tries to promote the hateful Mm -hmm. discord because it increases engagement, even if it's negative or positive. People are saying this is a great message or people are saying this is a horrible thing. The engagement that those type of controversial, hateful, divisive messages get is something that is favored in the algorithms. So back to our original point, there is no way we can leave this in the hands of Facebook or or any of the other uh, social media giants. It is a responsibility of government to put in place clear rules around hate speech. We saw the rise of anti-Asian hate, a lot of it fueled by misinformation about who is the cause of of the coronavirus and and misinformation around targeting uh, people of Chinese descent or Asian descent. And so uh, I think it's really important for us to take a really hard look at how we can stop this hate from spreading. Me Singh joining us from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We've got a few
0: minutes left. I want to ask you about, you mentioned um, Pharmacare was massive in, in the platform in the election. You've also mentioned dental, and I can't tell you the people that have come up to me and said, he makes a great point on dental or calls to the show because you think, okay, your knee's hurting, your hip's hurting. Yeah, we can take care of that. When there's something going wrong with your mouth, when you need a root canal, when you need work done and you can't afford it, it's it paralyzes everything. It's I, I've never understood that. I've never understood many people haven't why dental isn't more of a priority just like any other part of your
1: body. And and, and you've been a leader that's, that's championed that. Yeah, when you rethink about it, actually, I was gonna say the floodgates have been open. I've been reaching out or so many people have been reaching out. I, I guess it's because I've been talking about it, but the number of people that come up to me and say like, I have debilitating pain in my mouth, something that could have been prevented, I've learned if I would have seen a dentist earlier on. But now I'm at a point where there is no other option but a root canal or a tooth mm-hmm. extraction. And I go into the hospital with this horrible pain, and all they can do is prescribe me painkillers because it's not covered to deal with my 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 dental health, my oral health. And if you think about that, you can go in and get you know complicated knee surgery where you can reconstruct your ACL, but you can't get your teeth looked after. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. And and if we look at it in terms of health. There's no denying, I think everyone just anecdotally knows this, but healthcare professionals agree, your oral health, your dental health is directly connected to your overall well-being and health. So this is one of those big gaps in our healthcare system, uh, medication coverage and dental care. Re- those, there's other things we need to do as well. There's no doubt, you know, mental health is something that's come up a lot, but really these are things that were always intended to be a part of our healthcare system. And that's, I think, something that people might've uh, overlooked or, or don't know. When we initially did the study back in the '60s to consider a universal healthcare, dental care and medication coverage was always actually considered to be a part of the solution. At the time, the idea was let's start with uh, physician visits and hospital visits, but it was clearly indicated in the Royal Commission that we need to also include dental care and medication coverage. I want to complete that job. My my one of my dreams and my visions is to make sure our healthcare really covers us from head to toe.
0: I know you've been asked um, in the last couple days about, I'm not sure it's a fair term, uh, and I don't want to criticize the journalist that asked you about it, but a, quote, coalition between you and Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, that's not like a a true coalition would be you sitting with the Liberals. We had an Ontario coalition government in 87 with David Peterson and Bob Ray. I, I don't think that was the... The, the merit or, or the um, intent of the question, but it is a fair question to ask, how will this relationship, if you will, work the, compared to the position you were you and the party were in in 2019, where where you held their feet to the fire and held them to account on certain issues? I'm sure your constituents want you to do the same. How do you view it going?
1: Well, I've, I've ruled out there there is no uh, coalition on the table. That's not an option. That's not going to happen. And right now, we're going to be in the exact same position that we were in 2019. Our, our plan is to push for things that we believe need to happen for Canadians, and we're going to fight to make sure that they do happen. And we will provide our support on things that we agree on, and we will withhold our support on things that we don't agree on. And throughout it all, we'll be critical of any decisions that are made that hurt Canadians. And, and that's going to be the way we move forward. I've indicated an openness if the government wants to put forward an alternative to that. But I have not made any commitments and I've not said that that's something that I want. I just will hear folks out because it comes down to the fact that Canadians sent us to make Parliament work. And I want to make sure it's clear to everyone involved that I want to make Parliament work for people. I want to make it work so that those that need help will get it. Last question for you. You um, you documented going to Saskatchewan,
0: um, the unmarked graves there. Uh, we all remember the news reports from... Uh, both BC and Saskatchewan when this started and and we all thought at the time, okay, this isn't just the the finish of it. This is the start of something and we have to keep those conversations going. Um, I'd ask you if you feel like we're, we're in a little bit of a stalemate right now with with where we go forward what about justice here what can we find out about records can we find out people that were involved um, you know how do we how do we move forward apologies are one thing flags and and t-shirts are one thing how do we find out how all this happened and how it was perpetuated
1: i think what happened in canada was a really powerful turning point the first 215 kids that were found in unmarked graves in kamloops really shocked Canadians in a pretty profound way. And coming out of it, while Indigenous communities weren't surprised, they knew that this is the reality of residential schools. I think for the first time, everyday Canadians started to see the horror of what had happened to Indigenous people. And then something beautiful happened in this really horrible moment of of recoiling from the the evils committed by residential schools. The beautiful thing that happened was Canadians said, you know what, we need to do something about it now. It's not enough for us to just uh reflect on the past we also need to do something to remedy that to rectify it to move forward in a good way and that to me is really powerful and so canadians are now demanding that action residential school survivors had kids and those kids are now facing that continued legacy of discrimination in being discriminated by the indigenous child welfare so indeed di- the survivors of, of residential schools Right now, those kids who were discriminated against by the Canadian government are right now being fought in court by the Canadian government. So we've said to Justin Trudeau, if we want to honor the the memory of the survivors and the lives that were lost in residential schools, we can't continue to fight the kids of these survivors in court. So that's one thing we said, stop the legal battles against these kids and, and come to a resolution and fix the problems in child welfare, because it's that same discrimination that's ongoing. Clean drinking water. There is no excuse in a country as, re- as rich as ours in the 21st century that every community in our country doesn't have it. There are incredible technological solutions. It's simply it's not a question of of money because we have the resources. It's a question of will and it has not been made a priority. And I want to see that happen. Yeah, those those are the quick and simple ones and the, and the critically important
0: ones as well. Um, mm-hmm. time sensitive, uh, and there's other issues to to follow up on. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's great having you on, and and I know our listeners enjoy our conversations. Thanks very much for doing this for us. My pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. Take care. A lot of issues um to do with uh, w- with certainly Remembrance Day, where the country's going, and uh, a real summer of awakening and and reckoning. and uh, and and I think it's worth that conversation to talk about it. Uh, With regard to there was a lot of negotiation, I wouldn't say hesitation, but I think people wanted to get this right when it came to um, the flags also going up and down. We we, you know, at federal buildings, Canada had their flag lowered at half mast based on the first discovery of unmarked graves of indigenous children from residential schools uh, in Kamloops, B.C., We found the same discovery in greater numbers in Saskatchewan. We're looking right now in the Hamilton Mohawk area using the the ground piercing technology. Um, And I think people did want to get this right. I know there was an element of confusion and an element of pushback saying at a certain point, do the flags go up? We just celebrated Indigenous uh, Remembrance Day uh, earlier this week. And as I mentioned to, to Jagmeet Singh in our chat, I think a lot of Canadians that do what I do didn't know a separate day existed but that's okay. That's that's about getting it right, figuring out the path forward and educating ourselves. I want to bring on a professor at the University of Toronto in the Faculty of Information. Uh, her name is Kara Krampotich. It's great to have you on, Kara. I appreciate you making the time for me.
2: Thanks so much for having me today, Greg.
0: Absolutely, it's it's been an interesting week, and you've seen this sort of uh, back and forth uh, uh, about the the flags and the gestures. The gestures are important. Um, the practicality of of Indigenous communities saying, "Well, we need cre- clean drinking water. We want answers about what what transpired here," and and I think they're they're aware that we've all awakened, if you will to the understanding of what happened at residential schools. And to be honest, many people, you know, older than me feel very bad about it. I, I think that's a common refrain.
2: Um, I think so. I think, you know, one of the, the important things that you just mentioned um, right now is that, you know, for a lot of Canadians, we also didn't realize that there was an Indigenous Remembrance Day, right? An Indigenous mm-hmm. Veterans Day on um, November 8th. And you talked about, you know, that process of learning. Right. And, and it's the same thing with residential schools. This is about um, self-education, about putting in the time to learn about all of our country's history. Right. And, and this is one instance of that.
0: Did Indigenous veterans feel, um, I wouldn't say ignored by what we usually do on November 11th, but, but they didn't feel there was enough of a voice and enough of a presence and, and, and an acknowledgement of the sacrifices they gave? Is that fair to say?
2: Um, As I understand, based on documentaries that Indigenous filmmakers have made, um, you know, Right to Play right now has a really great set of resources on their website about Indigenous Veterans Day, is that people were excluded. um, Mm -hmm. And the, you know, complex situation of Indigenous veterans wasn't confronted. And so, um, you know, we have to take account um, as Canadians of the very fact that Indigenous peoples often could not be conscripted into wars because they were not citizens, they were not franchised, right? Mm. So so we have people who were willing to serve Canada, who yet were not, um, were not full citizens of the country. Um, and we also need to remember that at the same time, you know, thousands upon thousands of Indigenous peoples were signing up to serve and were engaged in efforts at home This was the same time when it was legal for the country to take their children from their homes and put them into residential schools. Right. So we need to we need as a country to hold these truths. And in the same way that we have for a long time looked to the war effort to define who we are as a country. Part of that definition needs to think about, you know, in some ways, how does the Truth and Reconciliation Commission also define ourselves as a country, and how do we ensure that we're um, mm-hmm. taking full account of our country's relationship with Indigenous peoples as as formative and shaping, right, of of our mm-hmm. national story?
0: Kara Krompatsch, our guest professor at U of T in the Faculty of Information, I, I noticed this uh, yesterday, and I, I jotted it down that a um, a and a First Nations veteran. Uh, noted um, in in a news story that Indigenous veterans were excluded. They weren't allowed. It wasn't even a choice to lay wreaths during Remembrance Day events until 1995, and that's only 25 years ago. That's I th- that's an incredible uh, indignity and oversight on our part prior to that.
2: There are all kinds of things when we start to learn the history um, of you know Indigenous na- nations in the country where the dates are very surprising. Mm-hmm where the mistreatment went on for so long. And yet, right now, if you are active in social media with Indigenous colleagues and peers uh, and friends, one of the things that you'll see is across the country, they are all hosting today as well Remembrance Day ceremonies. It's happening at the Dokis First Nation Museum. You know, it's happening in Chigging and and Wikwemakong on Manitoulin Island. All of these communities, right, people are posting their family photos as well of you know, their family members and their friends who served um, during wartime, during peacekeeping missions. Um, So, you know, Indigenous communities are also celebrating Remembrance Day um, as well as, you know, their special day on November 8th.
0: Did, you know, from, from what you've researched, did Indigenous and First Nations military members and military families see the poppy as an an inclusive symbol or an or an excluding symbol and what by what i mean by that is that did they look and say well that's that's for them but it they don't make us feel included in it i don't don't know that they outright reject the poppy but they want to feel more part of it since we talk about it and and we've gone generation to generation a hundred years now we've looked at it and that's the symbol to recognize the sacrifice and our appreciation
2: So I don't know about historically when the poppy first came about as a symbol, but definitely today one of the really beautiful practices we see amongst beaders, Indigenous beaders, is the creation of beaded poppies. Mm -hmm. And they are really quite exquisite um, poppies that people can wear year after year, and they bring together that long tradition of beadwork. Um, And floral beadwork, in addition to that, with um, the really um, visibly recognizable and powerful symbol of the poppy.
0: That's really interesting. When when you were watching, um, sort of the back and forth in the news cycle about, well, w- what's going to happen? Uh, should we raise our flags back up? Aaron O'Toole made the point and challenged, um, you know, the federal government. That's what an opposition leader would do. Challenge the federal government to sort of take a stand here and at some point say, we we've acknowledged this. We've got to keep working on this. We have to keep we have to keep finding out information. As I discussed with uh, with Jugmeet Singh next hour, it, it, at the same time, there was sort of a little back and forth as to what the right thing to do is. It's all symbolic, but symbols still do matter.
2: Yeah, and I think if if the thing we need to avoid is turning this into some kind of competition mm-hmm. or an us versus them, that's absolutely antithetical to Remembrance Day, and it is antithetical to the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. You know, um, I have not seen... Um, any conversation, you know, through sort of social media channels and, and peers and colleagues of my own who are um, frustrated um, with the idea that the flags may go up to come down for veterans. I haven't seen any expressions of that, but what I do see are expressions that just keep behooving Canadians to not forget about those unmarked graves Hmm. and and you know it's not a discovery the trc told us that those graves were there residential school survivors they knew those graves were there it's just canada as a nation that's learning about them but we knew they were there and we're being asked Hmm. not to forget in the same way that remembrance Hmm. day is a day when we are being asked not to forget
0: understandably so uh it's great to have you on the show i really appreciate the time and, and your insight i hope we get to chat again I'm
2: thankful that you're dealing with this topic.
0: 100 percent. And we'll keep doing it. Uh, there's a great story on globalnews.ca News uh, from our television colleague, Mike Drolet, uh, who uh, put together a piece on the 100 year anniversary of the poppy. And that kind of sneaks up on you because poppies have just been. That's the symbol for this time of year and specifically for this day. Since we were born, and now as we look back uh, since 1921, Mike Drolay joins me now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. It's a really well-thought-out, uh, you know, researched piece. I expect that from you, so do the viewers. That said, um, what, what, what new things did you learn from it or take away from it?
3: You know, uh, and good morning, and congratulations on the show. You're doing such a great job. I, I love the show in the morning. Thank you. Um, and uh, let me tell you, I, I'm actually kind of embarrassed. Um, because I mean, I like to think that uh, I, I know a lot about Remembrance Day, and I know a lot about the, the wars, and I, I'm a bit of a history buff. And yet, I didn't know the exact origins of the poppy. You know, we we know that it's you know started in 1921, but and we know that it comes from uh, you know originally from the idea of In Flanders Fields with the John McCrae poem. But I wasn't aware that it was there were two women on either side of the Atlantic who really spurred on this idea. Of using the poppy as a means to raise money for veterans, and originally, actually, for orphan uh, children in France, uh, as well as to be able to raise awareness and to create something around this time of year mm. for veterans. So there was a woman in Georgia named uh, Moyna Michael, who uh, pushed for the poppy. She saw she saw in Flanders fields, and she read it, and she said, "You know what? I'm going to wear a poppy the rest of my life." And uh, she pushed in 1920. Uh, in Cleveland, to be able to get the American Legion to adopt the poppy as its symbol, and uh, and she but she wasn't successful up until that point. And the only reason she was, and she is known as the founder of the American poppy. But she got help from uh, a French woman named Anna Guerin, who is known as the Poppy Lady from France. And together they they got America to sign on for the poppy. And then immediately after, Anna Guerin went over to Thunder Bay, Ontario, which was, at the time was Port Arthur. And convinced Canada, the Canadian Legion, to do it. She then got it going in Great Britain and New Zealand and Australia. And, you know, that, that's
0: history. It's really something to, that anything, Mike, and you know this in the 21st century, lasts 100 years. And we don't, we don't question it. We don't say, well, let's reverse course on this. And let's face it, a lot of our last 100 years are either discriminatory, exclusionary, or just downright, but not right under today's standards. The poppy is pretty hard to criticize.
3: There really is not a negative element to it. I mean, people can say, well, it uh, glorifies war. No, it doesn't. No, It does not not glorify war. It is not a pro-war symbol. It's about helping the people who fought in the wars. You have to remember, people who fought, the soldiers who fight in wars, they're not the ones who are like, want to go. The biggest pacifists in the world are people who fight in wars, who have fought in wars, because they understand what it's about. And they understand how terrible it can be. Uh, and, you know, it's done so much good. I mean, the, the Canadian Legion now, uh, they don't sell them, by the way. They get, they really, <laughs> when you talk to them and you say, well, how many do you sell, do you sell a year? They go, no, 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 no. Uh, we uh, hand them out and we take donations. They are very, very strict about that. They don't use the word sell. Uh, and they get, they do uh, hand out about 20 million poppies a year, uh, which raises about $20 million through donations. Not through sales, uh, and those, it goes to programs that help veterans. And it, you know the sad thing is, is that we need that money. The veterans, yeah. the region needs that money because not enough money is set aside for veterans' affairs to be able to help the people and people. Well, what do they? People who fight in wars. There's there's a lot of needs after they come back that people don't realize. And this is something that you know we should reflect on on a day like today.
0: Well, I'd say, yeah, you, you and I, you know, similar generation. We were at, we were at university together at, at Western, and we grew up. And if you didn't have an, a veteran in your family, and you didn't have a grandparent or a great uncle, you really didn't know any veterans. That's changed now, post Afghanistan. And though we weren't there for the full twenty year run. Um, you've got just as you laid out there for our listeners. There's people now in their 40s, in their 50s, who played a prominent role. And again, yeah, you got to depoliticize this, the same as the world wars, and say these people were willing to go into danger, tremendous danger post 9/11, and and you know be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. And we owe them for
3: that. Period. You know, it's interesting you, you bring up that point about you know older generations and stuff because I was just driving my daughter to school, and uh, we were counting the people on the street that we were driving by who, have, who were wearing poppies. And uh, that, that person, that, most people are not wearing poppies. And the few people that we, did, we have seen uh, wearing poppies were of an older generation. And my daughter asked me why, and I said, well, because people of an older generation are likely closer to someone who did fight in a the war. They had a parent, a grandparent, as opposed to a great, 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 something like that. So you're right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a generational thing.
0: Mike Drolet is joining us. Um, you know, you and I talked about uh, Don Sherry, and we all remember the the controversy from two years ago because Remembrance Day was was done so virtually, and we all were so scarred. And and obviously, it wasn't as safe now—not even remotely as safe as it was as it is now to gather. But I, you know, I, I would raise the theory that there might have been some cherry supporters and and the clearly tension was created from those comments the you people the this and that you come here to this country and so i don't know if there is a i don't know if it's generational or if there is a reverberational a reverb effect that that has people wearing less poppies um do you have a view on it uh
3: you know i i don't disagree with you on that i think there's that's a very good premise and it's it's sadly it's it's a good premise actually i have to say uh, because, you know, people do take offense to the things that have been said. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing a real correction in society right now. And when Don Cherry was making those comments about you people, he turned people off. He really did. He turned me off. I, was, I mean, I was yeah. as disgusted as anyone and as you were. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I can see how people might view it differently then. They say, well, okay, you know what? You don't accept me. You, we come to Canada. And you're all about, please, join our society and join the Canadian experience. And then you have somebody mm. in a prominent position saying, no, we, we, you're considering me, uh, you know, uh, separate from the rest of you. And, and I can see why that would, that would turn people off.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting story. It's a really fascinating uh, uh, news story up on GlobalNews.ca. Uh, Let me ask because I was saying earlier, I wish I wish our schools were doing more, um, and I'm not sure yeah. we are. It, do, do, did your daughter tell you what what Remembrance Day encompasses for her this morning? Do you know?
3: Uh, well, no. You know, uh, I'm actually not entirely sure what they're doing at her school. I'll find mm-hmm. out later on in the day. I do know that they're they're having an assembly of some sort. Um, That's good. You know, I put some pop- some I, aren't. I put <laughs> you know, we had the long talk yesterday about it, and, and we had a talk on the drive-in today as well about the poppy. And, you know, I pinned a poppy on her, on her sweater today. and She was excited to wear it uh, because, you know, I, I ended up getting the, the Legion did something really cool this year. Um, they're selling, it, number one, they're doing uh, an NFT, which is, I, I still don't understand these things, these digital art form things. <laughs> and are uh, the strangest things in the world. And they're selling those, uh, a limited mm-hmm. number of them. But they're also selling uh, the 100th anniversary poppies So uh, on their website. And it's, it's a recreation, a replica, of the first poppy from 1921. So mm. I bought some from the Legion and had them delivered. Of course, um, they were supposed to arrive on Monday. Canada Post lost them. And No. Uh, or, yeah, they lost them. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they?
0: No one can relate to that.
3: Exactly. And I <laughs> called them up and they said, well, you know, uh, we'll look for them. And, you know, the mail carrier was you know it was apologetic and he he actually said to me he goes yeah i think i may have screwed up but i don't know where i dropped it and i'm like well that that doesn't help me so i asked the legion i said where what do i do if you don't find it they said well you have to call, contact the seller and the vendor and you have to ask for a refund and i'm like ask for a refund of the Donation to the Poppy Program? Are you crazy? What kind of maniac do they think you are? I I don't know right? exactly. Yeah. Can I have money back? I, you know, I donated to the cancer site. I want my money back. No, no, it doesn't work that way. And but fortunately, yesterday, you know, it, it ended up great because the mail carrier found it. He delivered it two uh, two streets over. There's a street with a similar name, I guess. And he delivered. It to, and, and he was so apologetic. And all right, the fact is, you know, I really like the fact that he owned up to it. He never. Passed on Mm. the uh, the problem to anybody else. He owned up to
0: it. That's good. That's good. As well, several sources had reported you were living there and had been kicked out of the house, but not yet. And that's you know, like you can't have everything. So that's a positive. Thanks for uh, coming on with me today. We got to do it way more often.
3: Fantastic. Great talking to you.
0: Okay, Mike Drola joining us. So I asked some epidemiologists about the the. It's about the messaging more than anything. I and and don't get me wrong. I'm very thankful. I think the city of Toronto is giving plenty of options for parents. Um, There's 200,000 kids age 5 to 11. They're all going to be eligible soon enough. That'll be a great day. Parents will uh, swell with pride, confidence. I love being able to take my kids and get vaccinated. I have no hesitation saying that. So elementary schools, big clinics, small clinics, doctor's offices, let's give parents as many options as possible. I worried about that messaging. And I saw people like, like hyper aware yesterday when Dr. Davila mentioned some 5 to 11s. This is a quote in toronto have become very sick and required hospitalization some have even died that's the quote and i asked a couple epidemiologists about it this is the best one i got back i don't want to give his name but you you hear him here vaccinating this is what he would have said if he was her vaccinating five to eleven year olds is the key to keeping schools open and slowing transmission to other age groups where the effective effects of covid 19 are more profound from a health capacity standpoint And that's what I'm saying. That's the concept. That's the messaging that will work. My dad picked up this phrase somewhere, and I know I use it with my kids. I'm not making up the rules. I'm just telling you what they are. And that's how I feel about this age group and vaccines. I'm not telling you what to do or what. I'm just telling you what I think parents will do and what they'll respond to. And the pressure to be part of the city's 90% or that your kid could drop dead tomorrow, that ain't going to work. That's not going to fly. And I I want as many people vaccinated as humanly possible. Of course I do. Let's bring on uh, Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star, who's written uh, and written great stuff about this this week. It makes you think. It makes you observe. Um, Am I too far on one side of this? Or or do you go, you've got younger kids. You don't have a fully vaccinated household yet. What's the appeal to you to get vaccinated?
4: See, I don't have the same visceral reaction to the communication, but I do have the same... kind of desire for what should be the medication,
3: Mm -hmm. which
4: is that, I mean, there is protection for kids. It is possible to have severe outcomes for younger kids. It's just really quite rare. But on a population level, you have two aspects. I have who are still eligible for this, a 6-year-old, a 10-year-old. My 12-year-olds are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The more people who can spread the virus, And the idea that children don't spread the virus is one of the myths of the pandemic. They absolutely can and do. Um, The more people do that, the more the virus is going to find the unvaccinated people. Um, And the more people who are unvaccinated who get COVID, the more of them end up in the hospital and the more our health system is in danger of grinding to a halt. And also, vaccinated people can still have severe outcomes. Again, it's far rarer because the vaccine provides extraordinary protection, but I think you have to look at it that way. And then the other one is the data on five to 11 year olds that the FDA presented was incredibly reassuring. Like I'm not yeah. giving my kids something that's going to maybe be worse for them than better. That's the whole idea of parenting in terms of relative risk and societal responsibility. I don't think there's any question for me based on, I watched the FDA presentation, incredibly reassuring data Incredibly reassuring presentation of data. And at this point, I hope that more parents rather than less vaccinate their children because it will eliminate a reservoir of unvaccinated people in the city, in the province, in the country.
0: Yeah, all that I I agree with every sentiment you've had there, and and I think you're you're at the age of parenting where you're, you're through the looking glass a little bit of those early years where the kids under I don't know what when it stops, but it felt like we had we had two boys and and they got sick all the time. I tell parents who've got like. A, you know, uh, Christina Rutherford from Sportsnet, you know her really well. And and yeah. uh, and my wife's good friends with her. So it's all a little group here. And uh, and but we've said to them, that, you know, they've got a 16 month old. They've just started this parenting thing. And they said, how many her husband said, how many times did you take your kids to the ER to a, a walk in clinic? I'm like, oh, my God, five or six times before age three or four for a fever, for constant ear infections, barking like a seal with a cough. So I do think there's newer parents that are so used to this. And the first time that happens now, Bruce, for newer parents, parents are automatically thinking COVID. I don't blame them for thinking that, but but there is, <laughs> there is an element of building up immunity. Your kid, you're going to panic a little bit. Your kid's going to be on fire with a fever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we are forgetting that a little bit now.
4: Well, that's actually, a, you, you indirectly raise another benefit of getting your kids vaccinated because right now, if your kid gets COVID, they're not going to the daycare, right? Right. If your kid gets COVID, COVID, they're not going to the school. Colds are starting to circulate again. My 12-year-olds, one of them brought home a cold. No one in my family had been sick in any measurable, significant way except for the six-year-old had one, uh, like a, but a, a separate thing. Um, none of the kids have been sick in two years right? Mm -hmm. We hadn't had colds in the house in two years. And so we're sure it's not COVID, but everyone but me has gotten it. That's actually one of the benefits of being a parent is that your immune system gets built up year after year from all the elementary school strains get into your household at this point, I don't get colds. It's amazing. And I had to suffer to do it. But yeah, like parents right now, this, uh, Shannon Proudfoot wrote a piece from McLean's about this, how if you're a parent, you've been left behind in all this. You can't get your kids under 12 vaccinated. There are significant downsides to not having your kids vaccinated. We're getting towards, mm-hmm. the one thing that I tried to write about this week, and I think we're all lost in the fog of war a little bit on COVID because there's so much of it and it's been going on so long. This is a problem to be handled, and it can be handled for the vast majority of people, and that's where we're at. We just need to understand that there are small. There's still a ways to go on this, and that's the problem. Is the the end date of this keeps moving, but there there's still a ways to go because we have over a million unvaccinated people in Ontario, over the age of 12, and that's a problem because I think we have the second lowest reservoir of unvaccinated 12 pluses in the country, yeah. which I think is at least partly because of how the provincial government handled this. So now we have cases going up and we're going to need to deal with that. And we have like, we're going to have to deal with all the other stuff with third shot boosters. There's more to go. And so if you're a parent, yeah, right now, you're probably among the back of the line of people who have a normal life other than the fact that maybe your kids are back in school.
0: Bruce Arthur, Toronto Star, our guest. You talked to, um, yeah, your latest piece on boosters, you talked to uh, to Jeff Kwong. He's a hard get for uh, for radio, but he's he's brilliant. What, you know, for people that haven't read it yet, what was some of what he revealed to you? He talked a lot about the conflicting information. What were the takeaways in having your conversation with him? Here's the
4: dynamic of boosters, and this is important because there's a lot of bad information being pushed by bad sources out there. Yes, Data from other countries shows that the efficacy of the vaccines fades over time, six to eight months. Now, efficacy is, can mean a lot of things. Where it fades is whether or not you get the virus. It's still, the vaccine still, as far as we know, protects mm-hmm. you extraordinarily well against the severe outcomes, which is the point. And so the thing with that is people say, well, if you can get the virus, if you can spread the virus, what's the point of the vaccine? Well, that's a stupid question because it, for a long time, keeps you from getting the virus, and then even when you get it after a long time, keeps you from going to the hospital. Like, the, and, and by the way, you spread it less with the vaccines. So what boosters do is boosters restore all your, but well, we actually don't know how well they work. We know they do work. They restore your protection to, to its highest level. And the reason that it's important to keep this thing to a low level is those 1 to 1.3 million Ontarians who are unvaccinated. Because the more the, vac- the, the virus circulates, even in vaccinated communities where there are no severe outcomes, eventually it's going to find the people who are unprotected. Like think of, think of COVID this way. You're going to be exposed to it in the next year. Delta's too contagious. There's too much of it floating around. You will be exposed to it if you leave your house and have any kind of normal life. So do you want to be vaccinated when you get there or not? And so bo- what boosters are going to have to do, the idea that, that people are raising is that Well, what if we have to do boosters every year? Well, welcome to being an adult in a world we don't control. Sure. Right? Like, that's just what this is. Again, this is a problem to be solved. If all of a sudden you have to go and get a COVID shot and a flu shot every year. Well, you know what? That's a fairly minor inconvenience on the scale of something that has racked the planet and killed millions of
0: people. What do we have That's to take our what shoes? What do we have to take our shoes off at the airport? <laughs> what do we have to show our passport to drive across the damn border instead of just just telling them that we're Canadian? What about all that? Yes, like yeah, exactly. What what if I don't want to get somebody pregnant? Well, I have several options for that. But either way, <laughs> yeah, like like it's Colin Furness had to lay this out on Monday. He's like he's he says the 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 math argument. He's so he, it, you can tell like he uh, he can lose it once in a while, like you and me. He can lose it <laughs> once in a while. And he was like, let me explain why you're seeing a higher percentage of vaccinated cases, because the oh, vast okay. majority of the damn population's vaccinated. What that's I, I've forgotten how to speak French from high school. I haven't forgotten how to add.
4: Well, this is this is the basic math. And this is where anti-vaxxers cherry pick bad faith talking points that either assume you're stupid or assume you're malicious. And, I'm, and, and uh, now this is the anti-vaxxers, not the people who are just hesitant, who have questions. That's a different thing. We still have a lot of First Nations, Inuit, Métis, Black, Latino people in the city who are suspicious of vaccines. And I think we can get there on a lot of them. But like this idea that, well, most people in the, in the, uh, in the hospital are vaccinated. Well, OK, let's say it's 50-50. 50-50 of the cases even are vaccinated versus unvaccinated. When 85% of the population is vaccinated, (laughs) what does that tell you? Like, do some basic math. Again, vaccines, this has been a population-level study. Go and look at the data from Jeff Kwong. He has a a YouTube uh, link, I think, to their presentation on the ISIS um, data. Mm -hmm. And the protection level by these vaccines in Ontario, with an eight-week interval between shots, which has been huge, um, they've been extraordinary. They've been extraordinary and they've been extraordinarily safe. It's not that they are zero risk. It's not that they are perfect, but they are the best Mm. tool we have. If you want life back to normal, vaccines are the ticket, man. That's it. And we still need to have some some uh, attention to public health measures until we get more people vaccinated. And that's where the government's falling down right now with a real uh, uh, they're anti mandate because they want to get rid of it as soon as they can and they won't they they won't keep the vaccine passport as soon as as much as uh, i'm getting confused here. they won't keep the vaccine passport they want to chuck it as quickly as they can and they won't mandate yeah. anything beyond long-term care, and that's how Ontario now has a huge reservoir of unvaccinated people.
0: Okay, just over a minute. You wrote about Aaron Rodgers on the weekend. Um, he, you uh-huh. know, did what he did last week, and then tried to walk it back somewhat. I saw Mark Hamill is amusingly upset with him because he was wearing a Star Wars sweater. Mark Hamill is—it's <laughs> hard to get Mark Hamill mad on Twitter, but he's mad. W- what's he done to his? His legacy, his brand off the field. We're always going to look. OJ Simpson's name's still up in Buffalo. We're still like, we still honor athletes. We can't deny how great Ty Cobb or Babe Ruth was, but it's the, we live in a different world now. What's the off the field world for Aaron Rodgers and the perception of him?
4: Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks, maybe the greatest quarterback I've ever seen play football. He's incredible. I love watching him play. I found him charming, find him intelligent. This is way out, and this is going to be when he retires probably in the second paragraph of the story, which is that he became a hero to anti-vaxxers with a misinformed rant that went viral in the country and probably contributed to the ongoing nature of the pandemic because the stuff he said was nonsense. He said, I'm a critical thinker, and then rattled off anti-vax talking point after anti-vax talking point. When he went back on that show this week, he backed away from it like he was on fire, you know, but he didn't step away from it. He said, I stand behind my comments. But I just don't want to talk about them anymore. Let's talk about football, which is like the Simpsons with Mark McGuire. Do you want to know the terrifying <laughs> truth, or do you want to watch me sock a few dingers? Like uh, He obviously some crisis PR people got a hold of Aaron Rodgers, but the damage is done. And it, mm-hmm. I'm glad that he backed away from it. That's the best you could hope for, that he's not going to actively promulgate anti-vax talking points from an enormous platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem is there's enough people in the United States and some in Canada who are doing it anyway.
0: Love, Jar. I love our chats, Bruce. Have a great weekend. Thanks very much for this. Grady, always my pleasure, man. Thanks so much for listening to the Toronto Today podcast. You made it to the end. Tomorrow, live show 530 to 9 on Friday to wrap up the week.